I think there are some things as songwriters that we have a tendency to try to prevent from informing our songwriting, but I think that can be a mistake. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about three kind of unconventional things that should inform our songwriting and that we should allow to inform our songwriting, even if maybe we shouldn't allow it to dictate our songwriting per se. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Vidala. Honored to be talking with you today. Honored that you would take some time out of your week to listen to this podcast. That means a lot to me. Thank you to all of you who have left kind reviews on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify or wherever else you can leave reviews. I appreciate every single one of those. means a lot to me. If you've already listened to this podcast before and you enjoy it uh, and you haven't left a review yet, be sure to do that. That's a great and pretty easy way to help me out to be able to reach more people so that hopefully more people can uh, learn about and and learn to become even more passionate about, hopefully, the craft of songwriting, which is obviously important to me. In case you can't tell now that we're almost 200 episodes into this thing, So that would be greatly appreciated. And if you haven't already, we're talking about informing songwriting. And a great thing to know along with what should inform your songwriting is where to start with songwriting. So if you haven't already, be sure to pick up my free guide on 10 different ways to start writing a song. It should be helpful to you whether you're new to songwriting and need sort of a guide into like, okay, but where do I start? It will give you 10 different ways rather than just one, five from a lyrical standpoint, Five, from a musical standpoint, so whether you want to try lyrics first or lyrical concepts first or whether you want to try music first, there are five different ways for you. But also, probably one of the most important elements to staying creative for me personally is just that if I keep doing the same thing over and over again and have the same exact process for songwriting, one of two things is going to happen. Either one, my songs will start to sound the same to a greater level than I would like, because I think all of us, or at least most of us, probably all of us though, we want to have a sound, right? It shouldn't be like from one song of ours to the next. It's like, oh, it's a totally different artist. You know, for the most part, we want some version of a sound so that it's distinctly us. Doesn't mean we don't have songs that break out of that, but usually we want a sound. Uh, but there's a fine line between having a sound and having, you know, that 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 you know, album where somebody's listening to it and they're like, "Oh, every one of those songs seem like just the same song over and over again." We want to avoid that. And a great way to avoid that, as well as a great way to avoid just getting writer's block, is simply by changing up how we start our song, just doing minor things like grabbing a different instrument than you normally would go to, even if it's an instrument that you are less skilled at, or writing a specific part that is different than where you normally would start, such as writing your vocal melody first instead of a chord progression, or writing a bass line first instead of opening with melody. Bunch of different ways, but if you're interested, it's a songwritertheory.com. That's songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Be sure to check it out. But today, in this episode, we are talking about unconventional things that should inform our songwriting. And the first one that I think we need to talk about is our voice. And I think there's a tendency as songwriters to either see our voice as a thing to consider later on in the songwriting process or to not really actively think about. You know, maybe we're thinking about our voice in the sense that we grab a guitar and we have a chord progression and we're improvising with our voice to try to find the melody. But we're not really putting too much thought into, you know, is this sort of high for me? Is this a little uncomfortably low for me? Or maybe not even uncomfortably. But just thinking about, is this really in the ideal range for my voice? I think specifically there's there's really three things to consider vocally. One is the overall sound and timbre of our voices. So this would be your voice type. 
So whether you have a darker tone, a heavier tone, if you will, maybe you're, say, a bass if you're a guy, or a lower baritone, because bass, true basses are fairly rare, or maybe you're more of an alto if you're a female, and and also, yes, I know that alto is technically not a voice type, but I think we all know what we mean when we're saying that. But yes, we can talk about contralto or mezzo-soprano if we want to get technical. But alto meaning, you know, the the lower side of the the female voice. If you're in a four four part choir, right, then normally you would have a tenor part and a bass part, and then above those, which the bass is the lowest part. So let's go bottom to top, right? You have a basses, and then you have which almost nobody in the bass section of like any high school choir is ever a true bass, but We'll ignore that for a second because, again, bass voice types tend to be fairly rare. Um, And then you have tenors, and then you have altos, and then you have sopranos. So whatever the overall sound or timbre of your voice, which really, if you think about timbre, timbre is really the reason why you can hit a middle C or C4 on a piano, and it sounds different than when you play a C4 on a guitar is because of timbre. It's the same pitch, but it still sounds different. And the reason for that is simply timbre. So in the same way, when I sing a note or sing a song and I'm singing the exact same note and I'm singing maybe even like the exact same style, it still is going to sound different when I sing it than when you sing it because of timbre. Now, of course, voices are one of the most, arguably the most complex timbered instrument, right? Like nobody would... Maybe some people would say, but, you know, even the most educated at on like piano sounds person probably can't really tell the difference between like, oh, that's this piano that I just heard. And, oh, I just heard of that middle C. That is clearly this piano. But you can do that with people's voices, right? You hear a song instantly. You're like, oh, it's so and so because you hear their voice and it's distinctive. And even artists that we consider don't as not having really distinctive voices, even them, usually we can tell, right? And and what is that? How can we tell? It's because of their timbre. So not only are we thinking about the sound and the timbre of our voices, but also we're thinking about the range of our voices. And not just the range, but the ranges within our overall range. Because I think sometimes we think too simplistically about this. We'll say something like, oh yeah, this song is within my range. and But that's not maybe asking the right question. The right question is, is this song in an ideal part of my range? And this can be as simple as just changing the key of the song. But also, what we're talking about here right, is allowing our voice and allowing things in general to inform our songwriting. Not to dictate it but to inform it. So as we're writing the melody, we should already be considering our vocal strengths and weaknesses and and what our voice is like. So if you are somebody, for example, that the timbre of your voice is, is maybe you're a lower baritone or a lower alto slash, you know, mezzo-soprano or maybe contralto. It's wise, I think, to consider where your voice sounds most optimal. So for for you, for example, maybe you have sort of your lower range sounds very rich and 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 just has a lot of gravitas to it. And then sort of your your mid-range is kind of probably the weakest part of your voice. Or maybe I think for guys, for example, it's pretty common sort of in the bridge of our voice for that to be a place where maybe our voice might not sound best. And I don't think that's true for everybody, but maybe, you know, if you belt a high G or an A, it sounds really good. But if you're in that weird middle ground of like middle C, you know, C4 or or D4 in there, you're kind of in a weird place where you're sort of in mixed voice. You can't really belt it at that point but it also isn't as rich as your voice is and more of your baritone range. So taking those type things into account when we're songwriting, which is not to say we should avoid writing melodies in that area so much as be intentional about knowing what your voice sounds like in that 
pitch area. So for example, if you know that that this melody that you're writing needs to be belted, obviously you need to put it in a range where it's able to be belted. But beyond that, it's also important to think of, for example, something that's that's pretty common is if you have like a a, a very nice love song, it will actually be relatively high in pitch and but they wrote it explicitly so that it would be with head voice or falsetto and if you sang that song not in falsetto and it wasn't written with the intent to be sung in falsetto the whole dynamic would be totally different so of course they wrote that song thinking oh i'm going to sing this in falsetto to give it that that light airy romantic sound because if they belted it, it would maybe sound angry or intense, and that's not what the song is trying to communicate. So thinking about all, all these sorts of things, where, where our voice can do certain things, where our timbre sounds best, or, or, or even just the timbre of different ranges in our voice and how it adjusts and how we can utilize that in our song, where you know maybe a part doesn't shouldn't have that deep baritone, but it also shouldn't be belted. So intentionally putting it in sort of that range where it's a little bit mixed voice. So it's a little lighter, uh, but it's not belted, but but it, yet it's not as as deep and 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 mid-rangey as your low notes. And then just stylistic strengths and weaknesses. You know, so if you can add grit or bite to your voice. That's a great way to add intensity to melodies. And, you know, that, that can inform, too, the type of genres that you tend to write in. And this admittedly can be a trap. But, you know, if we're being honest, there, there's certain voices that just don't work in certain genres. Right? So don't, don't try to swim upriver. I think this is just a good creative overall piece of advice. And we've talked about it before, but in case you're newer here, in general, I think sometimes we we almost lean towards trying to be agnostic of our skills. And we try to make our songwriting agnostic of our strengths, whether that be as, you know, a vocalist or anything else. You know, we say, oh, yeah, I'm not great at writing bass lines, but dang it, I'm going to do it all the time anyway. And while I do think it's important to work on things that are weaknesses to try to reduce how much of a weakness they are, uh, it is also idealistic to say, oh, let's just turn every weakness into a strength. Like, sometimes you can't in some cases, right? Some people are just vocally limited, and it's just not the case that anybody can be Freddie Mercury, for example, (laughs) Um, right? Like, I think we all know that to be true. Sometimes we can lie to ourselves, but we all know that to be true. So I think sometimes while we're in the background working on on reducing weaknesses and doubling down on strengths and maybe taking things we're average at and making them a little bit more of a strength you know up, sort of up upgrading or leveling up different elements of our skill stack that allows us to become a better songwriter i think that's important and that's good but ultimately it's just wise to not try to swim upriver go with the flow if something that you are naturally talented at for example is you're not maybe super great at belting high notes, but you have an absolutely beautiful, ethereal-sounding falsetto or head voice. Maybe lean into that instead of fighting against that. Even if you like the idea of belting high notes, if it doesn't work for you, if it doesn't sound that great for you as of today, don't force it. Right Again, in the background, work on it. Make it more of a strength. Absolutely. But while you're here, while you're in the place where you can't belt high notes in a way that you want to, but maybe you have a great falsetto, lean into that. Don't try to fight what you're naturally good at. And if the if the opposite is true, same thing, right? Maybe your falsetto is weak or maybe you your your sort of transition into falsetto is really rough and your voice cracks half the time, but you know, you can belt high notes or if you open a line in falsetto and then get back into chest voice but 
you know, say you would struggle if you started in chest voice and then in that line you had to swap to falsetto. Okay, then write your melodies in such a way where you are not forcing yourself to do the thing that you vocally aren't very good at, but instead write melodies leaning into your strengths. You know, don't put runs in your songs if you can't do runs, vocal runs. Now, also, if you can't do vocal runs, you probably are should maybe avoid writing R&B music because R&B music, like runs are seemingly an intrinsic part of that. I'm not sure that necessarily is. And of course, there's always room for, you know, you being the exception to the rule, right? Be the first punk band that doesn't sing nasally, for instance. Or, you know, there's plenty of examples of things that seem like they wouldn't fit and that a lot of us think don't fit. Uh, but it works, and tons of people like it. Like, for example, baby metal. I don't get it. It doesn't compute for me personally, but hey, millions of people love it. So what do I know, <laughs> right? Um, and, and and your voice and might, might, might be that as well. Or just as another example, I love Celtic women voices. I love that. And I, I, I can dig some, like, metal-type music, Euro-metal-type music, it's not my favorite, but overall, I like a good distorted guitar. But you mix those two, and you have the Celtic woman singing over sort of this epic metal track. It just doesn't work for me. I like the two things. Don't like them combined. Does It, it, just, it just doesn't work for me. It seems awkward and out of place. Again, most of you probably are thinking, wow, I hate that opinion. That's an unpopular opinion, right? So again, it's, it's just an example of there might be things that you think don't that you think might not work, but maybe if you lean into what you have and, and and maybe don't listen to the voice that says, oh, but there's this rule within this genre that you have to, you know, do X or you have to sound like Y. You know, maybe there's something to that, but but don't don't write off the possibility that something that can allow you to stand out is 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 not following those rules. And and maybe just a good way to illustrate what I'm talking about about your voice affecting your songwriting. I'm going to use rap as an example actually. I know, shocking. But like Eminem specifically is really good at rapping really fast. So and, and he's really good at like rapping angry, right? He has that like real intensity and bite to his rap. And he uses it Constantly, he uses both of those things, right? He 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 utilizes the fact that he has this aggressive, fast rap ability. Meanwhile, if you take say Snoop Dogg, what what he's really strong at is this incredibly laid back, smooth rapping, right? I mean, his rapping is just smooth as butter. He can say incredibly inappropriate and quite reprehensible things and you almost don't notice because it's expressed in such a laid back smooth way right you notice when Eminem says something bad because honestly Eminem could probably say I'm gonna go get some M&Ms and it would sound like he just cursed at you because everything he says is dripping with so much aggression and anger um so think of it sort of in the same way as as a as a vocalist right uh, a common example I go to is James Taylor, right? Smooth as butter voice, he leans into that. He lets it inform his songwriting. He doesn't write songs where he has to belt high notes and he's trying to be Steve Perry, right? He writes folk music, very conversational, right in, his, in that beautiful baritone mid-range and just rides that all day. And, you know, for other stylistics, right? How does your voice sound with vibrato versus versus not vibrato? Considering all of these things and how maybe it can inform your songwriting. Like, for example, sometimes different areas of your voice, it's easier to get vibrato than others, right? Maybe on high notes, it's easy for you to get a natural sounding, really good vibrato. But there's a certain range where, like, you tend to get pitchy, but you also don't have a really great vibrato. So allowing all of these things. Right, and we're still just talking about voices, whether it be the timbre of your voice, or the range of your voice, or just your stylistic strengths and weaknesses, and incorporating that into your songs. If you are really good at staccato, aggressive singing, like say David Draymond of Disturbed, lean into that, use it, just like Disturbed often uses it. And it's it's funny too because I think it's obvious when we think about it that like. When we have an artist that does a thing over and over again, usually they're good at it, 
And I think sometimes we just sort of automatically be like, oh, they are good at it because they do that, right? Because Disturbed writes songs where they have this aggressive staccato vocal very often, where he, it's, it's almost like the Eminem of, of <laughs> not exactly, but almost the Eminem of metal in, in some ways with the sort of fast, aggressive, staccato type sound. And I think sometimes we we assume they like wrote the songs and because the songs demand that David Draymond sing that way, he eventually got good at it. But I doubt that's the case. In In most cases, the reason people write songs in certain ways is because it fits their strengths and specifically the strengths of the vocalist. So don't want to spend any more time on our voice, but overall, allow your voice limitations and strengths to inform how you write your songs. If you have a great belted high notes that are super epic, utilize it. Don't hide it. If you have beautiful falsettos or head voices, utilize it. Don't hide it. If you really don't have much of a range, but maybe you have a really rich, beautiful alto type voice, lean into that. I mean, to this day, I, I kind of dig Dua Lipa, if I'm being honest. And I know I don't like pop music, and I know that her lyrics are still garbage. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there's something about her singing and her. I just, I just like it. <laughs> I just like it. I shouldn't like it. It's a, you know, it's a whatever you call it. But um, it works for me. And you'll notice that something that that is very different about her versus every other pop singer is she. She almost never, at least certainly not in the singles. And the song she's known for, she's always right in that just alto range. That's where she is. She sits there all day. She doesn't like go belting high notes. She doesn't do any Ariana Grande, you know, crazy run in the stratosphere. She doesn't do any of that. I don't even know if she can. And I don't care if she can because she's leaning into her vocal strength and utilizing it in the songs. Now, truth be told, probably what is actually happening is people working with her, writing songs with her, because I'm sure the songwriting credits on our songs are like 10 people, like most uh, pop stars. I'm sure they're tailoring the songs specifically to those strengths. But, and also other things to consider. I'll just throw this last thing in there, because I'm thinking of it just now. Uh, Sarah Bareilles. I know it's been a while since she's, I, I don't want to say this in a mean way, but... Uh, I haven't heard a Sarah Bareilles song in a while, <laughs> so I'm going off of way back in the day. But if you think of songs like Love Song and King King of Anything, King of Anyone, King of Anywhere, whatever it is, King of Anything, I think. Those two songs to me I, were just a masterclass in like, man, that had spunk. Like those songs are just super spunky and and have a lot of like sarcastic bite to them. And her voice fits that so well. She's so good at this sort of dismissive, um, just that sort of dismissive, spunky vocal sound. And her songs lean into that, right? Now, she also has a beautiful voice and all that other stuff, and she can do other stuff well, too. But overall, lean into what you can do vocally well and allow it to inform your songwriting, even if you don't allow it to fully dictate how you write songs. Next one. That was probably the longest one, just so you know. Next one, your instrumental skill. Now, again, as a caveat, if you've listened for a while, you know that my opinion is that it is important to continue to improve as an instrumentalist when you're a songwriter. Now, this will be less true if you're somebody that, say, was a fully classically trained pianist who took lessons for 20 years and was a concert pianist in college. Maybe for you this doesn't apply. But for the vast majority of songwriters whose story probably is something more like picked up guitar and learned enough chords to be able to play a few songs to make people of of the opposite sex be really interested in me. And uh, specifically guys probably think like this. I, I, feel, I feel like, I really don't know. Do, never mind. Not important. But we all know the Quintus, you know, the, 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 the joke and yet, truth of you know the, that one guy at a college and it's never one guy right it's like one guy per dorm unit that like picks up the guitar and actually like plays outside randomly thinking that he's going to pick up girls just because they're impressed that he can play four chords uh we, we all know those people right 
So, and there's nothing wrong with that if you were that person, right? It's just sort of a funny trope. And so whether we started sort of in that vein, right? The person who's like, you know what? I'm in college. Screw it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, pick up guitar. I'm gonna learn a few things. You know, whatever advantage I can get in picking up the ladies, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. So maybe that's how you started out. Regardless, I think the tendency is that all of us can benefit from increasing our instrumental skill to overall limit us less and less as songwriters. But right now, we all have strictly enforced non-negotiable limits, and that's whatever our current instrumental skill is, right? Because I can talk all day about, hey, you know seven chords on the guitar. You should probably continue practicing and get beyond that. But that doesn't help you right now, right? So what do you do right now? Right now, you can lean into these weaknesses and try to use these as a, a, a way to leverage these limitations into having to get more creative in different ways. I'll give you an example. I actually read an interview recently where Johnny Resnick of the Goo Goo Dolls was talking about how he wasn't a very good guitar player. And because he wasn't a very good guitar player, and yet he was the only guitarist in the band and needed to get like a big sound from his guitars, but needed it to be relatively easy to play, that is actually why he decided to sort of come up with all these exotic open tunings where, for example, it's very common in a Goo Goo Dolls song where the acoustic guitar, it sounds massive, right? And it also tends to sound different than other guitars because when when you have a guitar in a different tuning, it just sounds different. You can tell. When you're listening to a, a guitar that's basically in a form of standard tuning versus a guitar that's, say, in you know open D, you can tell. It sounds significantly different. It almost sounds like a different instrument. It sounds so different. And so he would come up with different tunings for different songs to make up for his limitations as a guitar player. And these tunings would be built to allow him to play quote-unquote chords where he would just use one or two fingers and the rest, you know, he'd just be able to play open so he's still getting the full six strings worth of sound. And I'm sure he's gotten much better as a guitarist, but ultimately that limitation that he had initially is a part of what created the Goo Dolls sound that ended up giving them, what, 20 or four. I think it's 14 number one hits. Crazy amount. It's something like that. And, or maybe it's top 10 hits. I don't remember exactly what it is. But wildly popular, right? Goo Goo Dolls, wildly popular. And I don't think they would be that way if he didn't have that limitation that he, he didn't just say, I'm a bad guitarist, whatever. He, tr- he figured out a way to, a way to work around that limitation while he had it in a way that actually added to the creativity and and made something different. So maybe you're you're not a good guitarist either. That's an option, right? Figure out an open tuning to op- to tune your guitar to so that it sounds cool and exotic, but yet you can play really easy chords that just involve one or two fingers. That's an option, right? Literally just do the Goo Goo Dolls play- playbook. Another thing you can do is uh, this is an example that I, I've been thinking about a lot that I'm thinking about trying uh, just because I think it could be fun and really interesting. But what if instead of writing complex guitar riffs, because maybe you're not a super good lead guitarist and the idea of coming up with really arpeggiated, cool, interesting riffs is something that you just don't have the strength to do right now or to don't have the strength to do. I love how I said that. <laughs> I don't have the strength to do it. You know what I mean. If you can't currently, if your skills currently don't allow you to be able to do that, perhaps instead what you can do is do simple single note parts rather than more complex riffs. Maybe you're even on a single string. And instead of writing more traditional guitar parts, instead you compose a quote-unquote guitar orchestra where you have maybe eight guitars all playing simple eight-note parts. I don't know why I said eight-note parts. It doesn't have to be eight 
eight notes, um, but you have eight guitars playing simple parts, right? That just involve two, three, four notes, really simple, that all come together much like how you would compose, say, something for a string quartet, right? It's, it's very common, especially in the context of songwriting, where if you had, if you compose for a string quartet to add to your chorus or a small orchestra, the parts are usually very simple as far as what each individual instrument is doing. It's how they all combine together that makes it interesting. Right? That's why an orchestra can create incredibly complex, beautiful music, and yet the person who's playing the oboe is, you know, playing a super simple part. Or, you know, altos in the context of a choir, right? A four-part choir. The joke is how altos basically just get to sing like one note for the entire song and then maybe go like up by a major second once and then back to the, the same note. Right. And that's a little a little bit of hyperbole, but it doesn't matter though, because in context, it it is something that adds a lot to the song. So even though the, they are singing something simple, the way it combines with the other three voices, it becomes something more interesting and more complex. So that would be just another example of maybe a way to work around a limitation as a guitarist, right? Find creative ways to utilize that weakness or or work around that weakness while you have it, even if uh, ultimately it's a good thing to eradicate the weakness. Some of the creative things you come up with to work around the weakness might be something that you keep later on. And other things to consider, too, is just, you know, hey, maybe you played the flute or the oboe or clarinet or bassoon or something back in the day in high school band or orchestra. And, you know, I, I think it would be a crime if you have a flute somewhere, you know, getting dusty in some box that you haven't played since high school. And, you know, maybe your chops aren't quite where they used to be. But ultimately, it feels tragic to me that you, you have this instrument skill and you never once bring it out to allow it to influence your song, right? Like, get it out and say, I'm going to write a flute-based song. You know, where would my my heart will go on? Where would that song be without that penny whistle or what, whatever type of flute it was that they used in that song? I mean, I, I can't even imagine the song without that. It would just be wrong. And... You know, so if you play the oboe or the bassoon or the flute or whatever it might be, or you used to play it and you still have it, you know, get it out. Let it inform at least a song or two. Utilize it to try writing writing a song. Don't just, you know, be like, well, singer-songwriters use guitar and sometimes piano or whatever your opinion might be of what singer-songwriters do. Um, don't let that limit you, right? No matter what instrument you played back in the day, I don't care how, like you may, you know, whatever instrument it is, however made fun of it is, right? Maybe you played viola. Who cares? In fact, that might be, use it, right? And In fact, I have a friend who's a violist and the only real string part I've ever recorded ever for a song is a viola. <laughs> Legitimately. Um, it didn't necessarily influence the songwriting in that case, but... Uh, you know, no matter wh what your instrument is and how bullied you might have been by other instrumentalists back in the day trying to tell you that your instrument is somehow inferior, which of course is dumb to begin with. But even beyond that, right, don't don't let that get to you. Bring out that instrument. Allow that to influence and inform your songwriting. And then lastly, on, on this second point, if you can't even play an instrument. Because some of you out there might be in the in this situation or you barely play an instrument. Use this as an opportunity to write music more compositionally rather than improvisationally. So real real quick, what I mean by that is often as songwriters, I think we, we tend to write very improvisationally, meaning, you know, I sit at a piano and I improvise and maybe I'll pick like D major and I'll do some improvisation until I come up with a piano riff that I think is, is good and interesting. And then I'll sort of build the song from there. But ultimately, it's usually me sitting at an instrument and just playing around, improvising, finding different tunes, if you will, uh, rather than writing them per se, right? I'm finding them via improvisation, which is basically musical exploration. 
Um, and, and so that's the tendency, I think, of most songwriters to write. But writing compositionally is more, say, you know, getting out your MIDI roll or, or using Sibelius or Finale or something like that. And you actually, you know, you put C as a note. And then you're like, huh, where should the melody go from here? Let's try going from C to E. And then, oh, it would be interesting if then from there we held an A, because that's unexpected, because at this point you probably think that you're going to go to a G or something. And then you move it down because you're like, just kidding. That didn't sound how I wanted it to sound. Right? You're writing one note at a time. You're really composing the song rather than sort of improvising it. Um, and if you're not an instrumentalist, you can do that perfectly fine. You're not limited at all. And in fact, you might end up writing better music. It might take you a little longer, but you might end up writing some really good music by writing it compositionally. In fact, sort of to the <laughs> 10 different ways to start writing a song, there's a little challenge for you. If you've only written improvisationally, try writing something compositionally, even if you are a very, uh, very skilled musician and very skilled at guitar or piano or whatever you're using with your songwriting. So last point last unconventional thing that should inform your songwriting is your recording and or arranging. Again, if you've been a listener for a while, you are no stranger to the fact that I strongly believe that we all should be recording our songs. And I won't bother with that whole spiel here because we don't have time and I have whole episodes about it. So, Check that out if you want to hear why I think it's important to record your music and not simply songwrite and then, you know, you have a song that exists and it's in your head and that's it. So I think there's a temptation as songwriters to write in a old-fashioned, traditional way. So I'll take myself, for example. To me, when I think of, like, the ideal picture of a songwriter right like what in my head is the best like songwriting thing is like somebody sitting in a rocking chair on a screened in porch that's facing a lake and they're all alone on the lake it's all just woods in the lake and there's like a loon calling right that lonely loon song and they're just sort of strumming and finger picking their guitar and they're writing a song looking out on that lake sitting in their rocking chair on their porch that, at least in my mind, is sort of like the ideal, this, this is what songwriting looks like. If I were to paint a picture of songwriting, that's what it would be. And you probably have an image um, as well that's maybe something like that. <laughs> maybe you don't have the lake and maybe the rocking chair was a weird detail, uh, I, in, in which case I actually agree that was a weird detail. I don't know why that's sort of what I'm imagining. Um, I think it's just the the relax, whatever, it doesn't matter. Who cares? I know you don't care, so we're not going to talk about it. But you probably have this sort of idealistic, like this is what songwriting looks like. And ultimately, what I would say to that is, and, and I say it to my own view as well, right? Who cares? Right? Who cares that I think a beautiful image of this is what songwriting looks like is somebody on their porch looking out on a lake all alone, loons are are doing their loon call, which is haunting and beautiful and amazing and super inspiring to me anyway, um, holding a guitar. And I find it funny that I imagine somebody holding a guitar. I'm a very much a piano first songwriter. And yet when I think of a quintessential songwriter, the ideal song songwriting situation, I think of somebody sitting there with a guitar. And I'm much more of a pianist and prefer the piano in every possible way. Um, and still, that's what I imagine. So who cares what it is we imagine? Ultimately, we want to get the best results, not fall in love with an idea of what we think songwriting should look like. So off of that, I think the temptation is that when we're songwriting, we songwrite serially rather than in par parallel. Now, I think it's important to write songs in parallel on multiple levels. And we've talked about them before, but really quickly, one one level, right, is just writing a single song, which basically means that you kind of refuse to really start another song when you're, quote unquote, well, I'm working on this song right now, right? So maybe in the three months it takes for you to write a song from start to finish, you don't really allow yourself to write, to work on other songs while you're writing that one song. 
highly encourage you not to do that. Write multiple songs at once. I think literally like the second episode of this podcast is talking about how one should be uh, uh, basically a songwriter who is writing multiple songs at once and why I think that's the case. Another way to write in parallel is with it not being in parallel, you would write a song start to finish. Writing it in parallel, though, is writing it section by section agnostic of the final order. So, for example, you might write your first verse and then write your bridge and then write your chorus and then figure out, you know what, I probably could use a pre-chorus in between the verse that I wrote first and the chorus that I wrote third. And now fourth, I'm going to shove a pre-chorus in between. So that's sort of another example of how to, how to sort of do things in parallel instead of serially, because in that case, we are are, are write, writing sort of by section and it's sort of like movie shooting, right? Often they don't shoot movies in chronological order and how it will end up being edited together. They they shoot based on, you know, every scene that's in Tatooine. They, they, they're already in a desert, so they're going to do all those scenes while they're there. Even if it's the first scene of the movie and the last scene of the movie, it doesn't matter. Um, and we should see songwriting the same way. But really what I'm talking about here is talking about parts within our song. So, for example, especially when you're recording and arranging your song, it is much easier to do this. And I think it's something that we should allow to happen as I think it can be super helpful, both for not getting stuck with our songs, but also beyond just not getting stuck, it's helpful to overall write with our final arrangement in mind. Because without getting too deep on this, I think if we think about it, Ultimately, we're more interested, they're both important, but we're more interested in the final track of our song, the final arrangement and recording of our song being great, even more so than the song itself. Because ultimately, if the song itself is great, but the arrangement and the recording of it sucks, nobody cares, right? So ultimately... We almost care about that final arrangement and recording more often because that's what people will listen to and will ultimately judge the song by. It, we need to make sure the recording and arranging does the song justice. And in some cases, a great recording and arrangement can even cover up a song that's otherwise not very good. Now, we shouldn't do that. We should care about the craft of songwriting, but that happens. See a lot of pop music. <laughs> um, well, there's more to that. But without getting too deep on that, what I'm saying here is, let's say you're recording a song, and you're starting with acoustic guitar, and you wrote the verse and the chorus, and you're recording those two parts. So then from there, you don't really know where uh, the, the chorus, or I guess the, the post-chorus would go. Let's say you have a post-chorus. You're not really sure where to go with it, but you have your verse guitar and your chorus guitar recorded. And you might even start arranging the verse and the chorus because you don't have to wait for the whole song to be done to start the arrangement and start layering in more instruments, right? You can add a piano part to your verse without having written the entire song yet. In fact, I think you should do that. So you might even get to a point, and I've done this, where you have a recording that's like a fully-fledged first verse and chorus but you don't even have, you know, a bridge written at all. But yet the whole the entire recording is almost done for the rest of the song. And the beauty of that is even though maybe you wrote that verse and chorus specifically from the standpoint of you sitting there in a traditional singer-songwriter way, strumming your guitar and singing along. But your bridge or your post-chorus to go with the example I was leaning into before, maybe if instead of reverting back to, well, let me grab my guitar again and go back to just writing the song as if this were a acoustic guitar song, instead, let's lean into, well, I have this whole arrangement here. I have this whole recording. 
maybe instead of utilizing the guitar to try to explore and improvise and figure out, okay, where should this post chorus go? Maybe instead I, I get the, the piano part or the bass part, or that random synth track, and we try to figure out where does this part want to go in the post-chorus. And then we end up building the post-chorus in a way where, if anything, we have to last figure out, oh, well, what what does the guitar doing do during this time? Even though initially when we were writing the song, the acoustic guitar might have been the main instrument that we were writing with. Right? We were sitting with our acoustic guitar, came up with this verse chorus. But then after recording... When we wrote the bridge, or when we wrote the post-chorus, maybe we barely even considered the guitar, and the guitar became the afterthought for that section of the song. So that would be an example of, if you're not recording, or if you're not recording and arranging, and allowing that to influence where your song goes, or how you write your song, you're missing out. Not only are you missing out on opportunity, because you're you're very limited if you're only you know grabbing the acoustic guitar you're playing the first verse and the chorus and the second verse and the second chorus and then you try to like improvise to figure out ah oh, where should this bridge go if you can grab five different tracks right you can grab the bass track and be like where does the bass part want to go maybe while you aren't inspired where the bridge should go with the acoustic guitar and that is something that you're having difficulty writing maybe when you listen to the bass part specifically and you figure out where does the bass want to go during the bridge that hasn't been written yet maybe that will help unlock that bridge for you or maybe the piano part will unlock the bridge maybe it might even be the case that your bridge or your post course or whatever wants to break down and won't even have the acoustic guitar during that part and you'd miss out on that opportunity where maybe you have a bridge that the guitar cuts out completely and it's just this this intimate piano part and then it grows into that final course or something like that. You'd miss out on that opportunity completely if we are only allowing ourselves that sort of traditional singer-songwriter methodology of grabbing the guitar or the piano or whatever our instrument of choice is for that song and sort of writing from start to finish the song and insisting on writing with that instrument and not allowing our recording or our arrangement of our song to inform where the writing goes. Because to go back to that example I just gave, I don't think you would ever come up with that same bridge if you forced yourself in that situation to, no, I was writing this song on the acoustic guitar, so I'm going to keep writing the song on the acoustic guitar. Allowing yourself to explore the piano part and where the piano part wants to go for the bridge is what gave you the opportunity to discover a very different avenue that the song wanted to go, if you will, since obviously a song doesn't really want to go anywhere in the strictest sense because you are creating it. But anyway, all to say that there are several things that I think are a bit unconventional that we should not ignore with our songwriting. We shouldn't let them dictate our songwriting, but we should allow them to inform our songwriting. And admittedly, there can be a thin line between the two. And admittedly, some elements maybe dictate. For example, if you're a singer-songwriter, you know you're going to sing a song, then yes. If you can't hit, let's say, a uh, uh, let's say uh, A4, you can't hit an A4 with your vocal range, then you literally can't write for yourself that that melody, right? Even that te technically has a workaround. Maybe you want to use auto-tune as an effect over auto-tune. Maybe. Fine. But generally speaking, that is a that is a actual strict limitation. But for the most part, most of what we talked about here is not so much a strict limitation that's enforced so much as they are things that we should allow to inform our songwriting, even if they're things that shouldn't dictate our songwriting. Fine line between the two, but the more you play with it, the more you'll be able to sort of find the sweet spot between the two. So again, allow your voice to inform your songwriting, your voice strengths 
especially, whether that be with your timbre, with your range, and the range is within your range, right? Where your, your voice sounds best at certain emotions, maybe, or expressing in certain ways, whether it be expressing something in a more light way or whether it, it sounds more heavy and grounded. Uh, your instrument skill, right? And even possibly turning your lack of instrument skill, if you do have a lack of instrument skill, into a way to force yourself to be more creative, uh, because honestly, you know, being great a great instrumentalist can even could be a crutch. Uh, I don't think it is. I'm not. Don't use this as an excuse to not become better at your instrument. Ultimately, I think that the better you are at your instrument, the more you unlock with things you can do as a so- as a songwriter is very important. Uh, but we can always use limitations to force ourselves to be great at certain things. Think like a slow wide receiver. A slow wide receiver really needs to be good at catching the ball, right? So maybe they become elite at catching the ball because they were limited in their speed. So they had to figure out a way to still be worth, you know, worth throwing to, or maybe they became an elite route runner because they weren't that fast. So they needed to make sure their routes were perfect. Figure I throw in a little football reference since, uh, I haven't made any references really this episode. We can't have that. And then lastly, allowing your recording and your arranging to actually inform your songwriting rather than maybe having a situation where you insist on songwriting an entire song before you even get into the recording and arranging process. And that gets into why it is that I highly encourage you to record and arrange as you songwrite. There's plenty of reasons for that. Again, I think there's a whole episode about that if you're interested Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. Again, if you haven't already, be sure to check out my free guide on 10 different ways to start writing a song. It will help kickstart your creativity. If you've been in a rut, it will help you out. If you're new to songwriting as well, because, well, <laughs> obviously you need to know where to start. So be sure to check that out at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate every single one of you, and I will talk to you in the next one.